This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik for Libby Zneimer. A personal story of an Israeli man whose brothers among those still held hostage by Hamas while his sister-in-law was killed, leaving his two-year-old nephew asking about his father every day. We actually can't show him videos of her because we need to make sure he understands she's not alive anymore. And then, putting Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, to the test. As a psychologist who studies relationships um, for a living, I've always been kind of skeptical of popular lay theories about relationships, um, including Chapman's claims. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Early deaths in the UK from heart disease are the highest in more than a decade. The latest figures show it reached 80 per 100,000 people in 2022, the highest in 13 years. Experts say England's National Health Agency is experiencing the, quote, worst heart care crisis in living memory. It's the first time there's been a clear reversal in the trend in almost 60 years when it comes to people dying from heart issues before age 75. The National Health Agency's rolled out preventative measures with hundreds of thousands taking part in programs to lose weight and quit smoking. Still in the UK, a shortage of epilepsy medication is putting patients at risk. One in every hundred in Britain who have the condition worry that even pre-ordered medication won't get to them and that anxiety itself can trigger seizures. One London pharmacist calls it a crisis and says even one missed dose is dangerous. The shortage stems from a manufacturing issue and experts say it may prompt the UK to bring in drugs from other countries. The science of DNA testing has gone to the dogs, literally. If you don't scoop up after your dog in one Italian province, you face a fine of up to $700. Municipal officials in Bolzano are raising a stink over dog, you know, that hasn't been picked up by its owners. And so they're turning to DNA to have the feces genetically tested, then trace the owners. If they refuse the DNA profiling, the owner will be forced to pay an additional fine anywhere from $300 to $1,000. DNA registration will become compulsory in March, and owners will be expected to have blood tests for their dogs in municipal dog shelters or vet clinics. Be prepared to hear some very loud buzzing this spring as billions of cicadas will emerge in a rare double brood event that last occurred in 1803, 221 years. The insects, one variety that lives on a 13-year cycle, the other 17-year cycle, 
will emerge at the same time from underground in a once-in-a-lifetime event. And when they emerge, they do so in big numbers and are not exactly quiet in their mating frenzy. They give off a high-pitched buzz that can reach up to 100 decibels, equivalent to a motorbike or jackhammer. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Like so many around the world, and specifically Israel, just mention October 7th, and the nightmare of that day replays in their minds many times every day. Like Michael Levies, whose younger brother Orr, and Orr's wife, left their two-year-old son with his grandparents that day so they could attend the Nova Music Festival. Neither returned. Michael's sister-in-law was among 18 hiding in a nearby bomb shelter, murdered by Hamas, while Orr remains one of the terrorists' captives. I woke up, uh, I remember the, the, the exact time. I woke up at 6.34, I was at my home. I woke up uh, hearing uh, the sirens uh, from the missile attack. I immediately called my mother and asked her if they are okay, and she told me that they are okay, but uh, that all my little brother uh, headed to the Nova Festival uh, with his wife, Inav. They left Almog, their two-year-old son, uh, with his uh, other grandparents. And we know now that they got there at 6.20 a.m., straight to hell. And they immediately ran into a bomb shelter uh, to hide from the uh, missile attack. And a few minutes after, they got inside and were sure that they were safe. A group of terrorists came to this bomb shelter and started throwing grenades and sprayed it with bullets, uh, murdering his wife, Enav, and... My little brother had to watch his wife being murdered in front of his eyes. Now, as far as your nephew, uh, what does he, what does he know? What's he been told, and and how is he doing in your conversations uh, with him? Uh, as you can imagine, uh, he's only two years old, and he, he misses them. He calls them every day. We cannot mention the words mom and dad next to him because he will burst into tears. Unfortunately, we had to tell him that uh, his mother won't come back. That was the toughest thing we ever had to do. We actually can't show him videos of her because we need to make sure he understands She's not alive anymore, and on videos, she looks alive. So we cannot show him anything on video of her. Uh, and he misses them all every day. He calls them every day. He wants to go home. And you miss, obviously, him, your brother, and obviously your your late sister-in-law, and you're making efforts to not only see him free, but I guess all of the remaining captives, correct? Uh, Yes, I miss him every day, Uh, not just me. I have three little girls, 
uh, a six-year-old that wins who talk about him all the time. They talk between themselves, and I it's heartbreaking to to hear them wonder if uh, their uncle will be back or not, and hearing them uh, think who will be all Almog's parents because he lost his mother and his father is held hostage. And I'm trying to do whatever I can to bring all and the rest of the hostages back. There are still kids there, elderly people, men, women, and they all need to be back. Michael, there have been occasional demonstrations, calls for the freedom of the hostages, calls for the Israeli government to do something. What are your feelings toward how Prime Minister Netanyahu has been handling this? I feel we all don't do enough. Not me personally, not the, all of the, the, the governments, not the media. And the fact that the hostages are still there means that we all need to do more. And we all need to forget, you know, forget about politics and forget about things that are not relevant now and bring them back now. Uh, the hostages are always a real person, is a human being with hopes and dreams and family and a two-year-old son who lost his mother and needs his father back. So, like I said, we all need to do more. Are you hopeful? Do you believe that some sort of agreement can be reached so that your little brother and all the others can be released safely without further blood amongst the captives being shed? Yeah, I pray for it uh, every day. And that's what we all want. We want them back. Uh, honestly, I don't care how. I just want him and the rest of their hostages back. I'm trying not to deal with how because I'm not a politician and I'm not part of the military. I just, I'm just a person who wants his brother back. Anything else you'd care to leave with us? Uh, just the fact uh, I want to stress again, the fact that uh, we all need to remember those are not numbers and just names. They are real human beings, and they didn't do anything to anyone, actually. Uh, my brother and his wife's only crime was that they wanted to celebrate peace and love in a music festival, and they and Einav was brutally murdered and all was abducted. Those monsters are, are still committing crimes against humanity every day that they are there. I, I want the world to, to know that and do everything in order to bring them back. Michael Levy, whose brother Orr remains among the hostages of Hamas. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, whether your special someone's love keeps lifting you higher or you just want to know what love is, 
Are there such things as the five love languages? Thinking about love as this nutritionally balanced diet rather than a language will kind of help people to acknowledge that we tend to have multiple needs that we look to a romantic partner to help us fulfill and that all of these needs are important. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members-only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca. It's been 30-plus years since a series of books titled The Five Love Languages came out, Not to help someone fall in love, but to keep a relationship fresh and growing amid conflicts, demands, and just plain boredom of everyday life. Emily Impet, a U of T Mississauga psychology professor, a UTM grad student, and a York U assistant prof were curious cupids who decided to check out the concept. The Five Love Languages is a book that was originally published by Gary Chapman in 1992 based on his experience as a Christian pastor counseling married couples in his church. And so in his book, he writes about how most marital problems can be traced to partners not knowing or not like air quotes, speaking one another's preferred love language. And so he determined that there are five love languages, physical touch, words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, and receiving gifts. And so according to Chapman, we all have a primary love language, and the key for lasting love in relationships is for partners to learn to express love in their partner's preferred way. What made you and your team decide to look into this? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, as a psychologist who studies relationships um, for a living, I've always been kind of skeptical of popular lay theories about relationships, um, including Chapman's claims. So my collaborators and I, we really set out to review the existing science on the love languages to see if academic research actually supports the key claims or assumptions that Chapman makes in his book. All right, so we found 10 studies that directly tested the three main claims that Chapman makes. So I'll just walk you through these three claims. So the first claim that Chapman makes is that people, um, again, have this primary or preferred love language. And so Chapman developed this online quiz that people can use to determine their own love language. But this quiz kind of forces people to pit the five love languages against one another. So, for example, if you were taking this quiz, you'd have to choose whether holding hands with your partner or receiving gifts is more meaningful to you. But when researchers have asked people to kind of independently rate the value of each of these expressions, people tend to rate all five of these very highly. So in real life, when people don't need to make these trade-offs between different things, they see all five ways of expressing and receiving love as important. So that's the first claim that people have a preferred love language. A second claim that Chapman makes is that there are five love languages, but again, he generated his measure based on his experiences counseling distressed married couples. And so his sample was um, all married, mixed gender, they were likely mostly white, and they share pretty traditional values. And so his love languages don't include anything about 
kind of providing support for a partner's autonomy or their personal goals outside of the relationship. And we know that these things are associated with increased relationship satisfaction and might be more meaningful to couples who have egalitarian values. And so he really relied on this very limited sample of couples that may have led him to miss out on other kind of meaningful ways that people express and feel love. The third claim, um, and this I think is the one that is the most popular, is that partners who speak each other's love language will be happier in their relationships. And researchers have tested this in two ways. The first is by looking at whether partners with the same love language are happier than couples where the partners don't have the same love language. And then the second is to look at, okay, even in couples where partners don't have the same love language, are people happier if their partner expresses love in their preferred language, regardless of their own? But our review didn't find support for either of these claims. Say the newest research with kind of the best scientific methods really shows that people tend to report higher satisfaction when their partner expresses love in any of the five love languages. So there was just no evidence um, of this kind of matching effect. So that's kind of his metaphor. What's one that you think makes more sense after delving into this? One thing I want to point out is that kind of what our review of the science suggests is that kind of each of the five relationship behaviors that Chapman identified in his book do have some empirical support. But what we think that Chapman got wrong is a metaphor. And so his kind of language metaphor asserts that people can only feel love when their partner speaks their love language. But what the empirical evidence actually suggests instead is that love is kind of more akin to maintaining a nutritionally balanced diet. So people need multiple essential nutrients kind of to be in the best state of health. And likewise, the best relationships are going to be ones our partners engage in kind of all five of those love languages. So it sounds like a, almost like a Mediterranean mood or Mediterranean diet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The idea is that, yeah, all of these things are important um, and that we sort of need to have a sampling uh, of different ones. And there's going to be, you know, different times in our relationships where certain things are going to become more important. So people need to be able to kind of flexibly adapt their kind of diet Um, to suit sort of what's happening in the relationship at a given point in time. That seems to make sense, given that the pastor Chapman there in his book went ahead and wrote this based on his experiences with his clients, if you will. And balance would be key not only in his examples, but in what you're saying here. So it really does come down to, to that, doesn't it? The fact is that, you know, people are not, people in relationships are not kind of fixed and stable. So, you know, we do have preferences. So, for example, I might value quality time more than my partner does, but people tend to rate all of these things as really important. And so we kind of hope that thinking about love as this nutritionally balanced diet rather than a language will kind of help people to acknowledge that we tend to have multiple needs that we look to a romantic partner to help us fulfill and that all of these needs are important. Emily Impet, University of Toronto, Mississauga, psychology professor. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. With technical production by Ian Robertson. Executive producer, Moses Neimer.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.